Welcome to Costa Conversations. I have a very special guest today. Goes by Kevin Dixie, KD, or the real NOC, depending on how you, how you know him from. Um, really excited to have him on. Before we get started, please go ahead and try to make sure you're subscribed, like the video if you can, and of course, as we're going, feel free to leave questions. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're looking for gear, check out obsidiantraininggroup.com. It's the best way to help me out. Check out the link in the bio to see if there's anything that you're interested in. Let's go. Kevin Dixie. Man, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Oh, no. Appreciate you having me, man. Thanks for taking the time out, carving out some space for me to talk to the audience, man. Appreciate you. Right, absolutely. We got it. We got to hear from the leaders. And you have been a, a good leader in the community for actually several years from what I've seen. Uh, you've been out and about um, making sure that you're visible, making sure that you're giving out great information and actually bringing a lot of unity and healing to the community, which is in a lot of ways exactly what we've been needing <laughs> and in a lot of ways what we've been rejecting. Um, so I'm, I'm actually curious to hear from your perspective um, about your organization that you created. Um, can we can we talk a little bit about that? Can we talk about the NOC? Brother, we can go wherever you want to go. <laughs> Let's talk about it, man. What is that? Now, well, first of all, I want to uh, I don't want the kind words to go, um, you know, unnoticed. Thank you very much for the kind words. Um, no other choice, the firearms training. So I, I do a few different things. Right. But no other choice. So when we're talking about the firearms training of what I do. So um, NOC, which is no other choice. And before anybody asks reason, it says the real NOC, because there is a German nightclub that actually has NOC. Uh, so I had to put the real NOC. So that's why it says that. But uh, no other <laughs> choice firearms training started back when I was working with the St. Louis City Police Department. So I spent roughly, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and I, I spent 10 years with the St. Louis City PD. I worked in a prisoner processing division and I dealt with prisons. This is what I did. Right. Um, so I realized from my angle and what I did in law enforcement is that there were true evil walking terrorists that existed. Now, I'm I'm from the hood. I'm from the bricks. I'm from the block as grimy and as dirty as it get. You've heard the American story once or a million gazillion times, but I'm from that area. So you didn't have to convince me that there were already, you know, these mm -hmm. kind of people in the world because I grew up around them every single day. However, uh, from seeing it from the law enforcement aspect of it, understanding that these people exist and evil exists came with a balance because there were good people, right, from all walks of life. There were really good people that thought self-defense was common sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to you know, tell folks that each one of us brings our own uniqueness, our own thought process to everything, everything that we do. You are, we are much more than guns. We are a community and we all bring our different level of expertise. Right. And so. One of the many things that I bring is actually seeing what it looks like when a good mom, a good dad, a good brother, a good sister that just made a mistake when it comes to self-defense. Right. Like something they thought was OK and it wasn't OK. I, I, I know firsthand what it looks like when they realize they might not come outside for the next 25 years. Mm -hmm. I was the person that had to take their clothes off of them and put them on suicide watch and make sure they didn't kill themselves because now reality is starting to set in. They, they had an impulse. They made a decision defending their home or defending a car or defending someone else or getting into a silly street scuffle or whatever the case may be. And the end result left them with the realization that my life might be over. And so what I wanted to do when I uh, when I, you know, I, I had a lot of experience with firearms when I was shooting with, uh, you know, obviously I was with a police department, so I had a lot of uh, time to go shoot. And what I realized is when it came to self-defense, we were missing something. Mm -hmm. We were missing it. We had all these alpha dog tactical combat ninja roles 
and all this stuff. And it's cool. It's great. Right. You can you can see from my Instagram page and my social media or even my stories and conversations. Like if you name somebody great at a thing, uh, you see me on the range with them. It's not yeah. it's not like I'm not around that all the time. And I haven't done some of that cool stuff myself. But that's not the point. The point is we didn't come from a mentality of showing individuals how to defend themselves and remain out of prison. Right. So what what I like to tell people is because I've seen what happens when you make that impulse decision, when you think that, you know, everything and the law starts to make an example out of you and you wind up in the hands of people like me. I started to share with individuals after seeing so many people go through this problem. Um, I want you when it thinks about self-defense with anything, gun, car, brick, bat, whatever. When it thinks about when when it comes to self-defense, I want you to extend God's grace and mercy to others as you would want extended to you. Truly be at a point of no other choice before you ever cause a negative impact to another human being, even if they deserve it, even if the law allows you to, if you can avoid it without yourself or another, another innocent person becoming harmed in the process. If they truly put you at a point of no other choice, you will execute uh, your duties with extreme positive violence and you will do it extremely well. But only when you've exhausted every other option that it is available to you in that situation. And depending on your situation, depends on what those options are. And what I like to explain to people is you, me, and everyone else listening to this, there has been some point in your life where somebody could have took your life and they didn't do it. They could have severely harmed you and they didn't do it, right? Hmm. So you were extended grace. If you can, without yourself or someone else being hurt, take that moment, depending on your situation, and extend grace to individuals. There have been many of people I could have killed lawfully, and I didn't because I extended grace, right? So that's where no other choice comes from. The other part of no other choice, to be totally honest with you, is a mentality, is a mindset because of where I come from, how I grew up. Every single day I wake up and my feet hit the ground. It's the same thing when I mentor young men, when I'm doing any kind of business coaching. I tell everybody, once you wake up and God allows you to draw breath that morning, you have no other choice but to be successful at whatever you decide that you're going to conquer that day. Mm-hmm. It is a mentality. I'm not feeling I'm not taking an extra hour of sleep. Um, I'm not going to sit back and just say, whoa, whoa, me, oh, my. I have no other choice but to proceed and push forward. So it's a dual mentality. It, it comes from originally from obviously self-defense. But then doing a mentorship, I realized that it, you know, it, it was kind of a double entendre. So I mm-hmm. use it for that. Um <laughs> But yeah, the main reason is self-defense, then the second part is motivation. So sorry for the long explanation. No, that's- no, that's that's good. We uh, definitely want you to be able to flesh that out. Um, wow, I, I definitely appreciate you kind of giving some clarity to that so we can just kind of have a framework of what you've already done so we can go forward with that. Now, just a little bit about what you're, what you're currently doing, because I know you, you do some activism. You do some um, civil rights stuff. Um, can you Can you kind of ex- explain exactly what you do in the in the activism sphere so i'm a wild card now i'm that yeah. i'm that you know i'm the kid from the mud that realized that this isn't natural everything that we are experiencing is not natural there has to be more to life than this but mm. where do we start so i was the, the the kid i'm not saying i'm innocent and i'm not saying i never did any dirt i'm just saying i never got caught um but realizing that there were there was there was something that was constructed for us to believe that this is life. Um, and it really hit me when I would start traveling to the suburbs and 
and would live in the suburb for four or five months before we had the boomerang back to the city and realizing that there's more to life and we're being sheltered from it. But where does it start? And so the people that I saw first were politicians, right? Hmm. Now, these politicians were always your local alder person. I don't know wherever you come from. It might be called a city council person or whatever. But these individuals that would come on the block and and promise you this neighborhood is going to get better. They'll point at this vacant lot. We're going to build this over here. And I'm like, hey, man, I keep hearing you say that and I'll never see it happen. What? Why do you keep doing that? And then I realized that they were they never really had our best interests at heart. I wasn't so politically aware, but I knew that these individuals wanted to siphon something from us. And then I realized that it was despair and it was false hope and it was the promise of better without the action of better. Right. Before I ever realized, you know, backhanded deals and all those things. This is me as a a knucklehead, 14, 15 year old kid. Right. And and also realizing that as a, a young man who had just recently been diagnosed at the time with clinical depression and anxiety because of my upbringing, rape, molestation, violence, you know, stuff like that. Realizing that when I realized that I was suffering from clinical depression, I also said that I, I'm going to be damned. I'm going to beat this. So civil rights and fighting for the betterment of people was a way of me kind of making myself better at the same time, if that makes sense. So sure. I started challenging because I wanted better. I wanted me to be better. And I, I knew I noticed that healing myself was amplified if I helped heal others. Right. So I just went out and I started challenging. So from there, you really couldn't push nothing by me without me becoming aware. And the way that I started being civilly active was challenging things locally and challenging other people to be critical thinkers and walking them through the path of being a critical thinker, not telling you how to think. Just giving you the process of being a critical thinker, right, Mm -hmm. and challenging things. And from there, I just started using my voice. I was never shy about things that I had to say, things that I had to do. Um, and what I wanted and what I expected out of my people uh, and, and the things that we could do. And I was not the dude that you can sit on a block with and have excuses. Now, nah, man, I'm going to be I'm just going to be moving this this dope, man. You know, uh, I'm, hey, man, this this is what the hood gave me. And I'll be the first person to say, no, nah, you 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 full of it. Now, you just you lazy, you bum and you falling for the traps. I'm telling me about what some white dude is set up for you if you sitting here falling for it. Right. So it was that motivation. That really calling people out, and I'm glad I could fight because it got me into a whole lot of fights. People don't like hearing the truth, right? No. But you know, really putting it out there, and then from there, man, it just became an issue of um, challenging everything that I saw, um, and and being clear in the mind about how do we really overcome some of the things that we're we're seeing. From there, when I joined the PD, was when I realized all the history I've studied, all the atrocities that we've been through. Everything that I talked about, I was familiar with the Second Amendment, right? In in theory, right? I knew it. If you said it, I knew what it was, but I never understood it, right? Never really grasped it until I was standing at the department one day and we were just standing around talking about guns and out of nowhere, it just hit me. It was an epiphany. Oh, hell, man. The Second Amendment is a civil right. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be talking about all these atrocities in a way that I am talking about them if these people were armed. So then it started leading me more down the path of how people were disarmed, like really understanding and not just saying it because I read it, like really digging into understanding it. And then I realized that, you know what, all this talking I'm doing about freeing my people mentally, physically, giving them education, giving them game, giving them motivation means absolutely nothing if they can't defend what they work for. So what is the point of me pulling this kid from the mud at 16, 17, him having a family, him doing well, 
starting his own business, becoming gainfully employed, and all these different things, spending 20 years building himself up, if all you got to do is knock on the door and take it from him. If he has no way of defending himself against the everyday common criminal, they can just decide that morning, I'm going to take somebody out, and it might, be, might as well be this guy who spent the last 15, 20 years of his life changing his life, changing his generations, building something for his kids, building, buying his mom a house, right? Like being that person, right? I'm to the point now to where I'm happy because my mama can call me and say, hey, son, you know, mom need $10,000. Can you give it to me? I'm like, yeah, which account you wanted it? But what's the point of doing all that if we can't protect it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I realized that then I had to involve guns into my civil rights talk. And from there, I, I decided not only to train with guns like I was already doing, I went after the guys that I knew knew more than me, and I made them show me how to be an educator. Right. I'm already pretty good at teaching and transferring information, but I wanted them to challenge me on that. And I wanted them to show me how to teach people self-defense, not just be good at it. There's a difference. Yeah. How can I translate this information to other people? And I was pushy about it. And eventually a lot of guys around me that were teaching me gave in and they really started coaching me about how to be an educator. I said, great. And as, as I learned that skill set, this is going back 20 years. As I learned that skill set more and more, I decided that the the best way. Um, outside of motivation and education to free people is to make sure that they're armed where they can always defend the freedom that they've earned, right? Once you yeah. understand you have equity in your life, how do you protect that equity? And that's where the guns come in at. And next thing you know, I blink in cover of Time Magazine and all over the country. So I'm just thankful to be able to be, you know, like I say, um, a sprinkle of uh, Martin, a little dab of Malcolm. You might kick some Garvey in there, you know, toss in a little Douglas, shake it up in the bag. Adding some Tubman for, you know, for a little bit of um, a little bit of, uh, you know, um, let's how we say a little oomph. I like Harriet Tubman. She's like one of my heroes. Right. A little no, bit. of She was a bad woman. Um, yeah, she was, man. So how do you add all that in? And I say I'm just you know, I'm just I'm just a mixture of the people that came before me with better guns. Right. Like, that's what I am. I'm a mixture of people that came before me with better guns. And that's why I say my ancestors paid the price. I'm just a receipt. Right. It's my job just to protect the purchase that they already made. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, speaking of um, speaking of that, I was actually just watching something with you that talked. You, you were talking to a, a group of folks and you were talking about, like, what's the difference between like your ancestors and my ancestors? And I, I think the, the point being that no one gets mad when we talk about 1776. Can we talk a little bit about that and, and your message then? Yeah. So here's the thing. Right. So people have to understand and be able to have a conversation with some nuance and some balance. Mm. In 1776, let me ask you a question without inflaming you or, you know, trying to get you to yell or anything like that. Let me ask you a question. In 1776, was the country we now know as the United States of America fighting and or celebrating, combination of both, its freedom from Britain? It, indeed it was. Freedom being key word, right? That's why it's always referenced 1776, right? Founded this country, freedom. Good to go. Not mad at it. And I tell people often, if 1776 wouldn't have occurred, there's no telling what the landscape of this world would look like, right? No there's absolutely no telling. So it is to be appreciated. However, let's ask another real question. When you're talking about expanding the knowledge of gun rights and expanding the use of the word freedom and people understanding exactly what it means to them. We tell people often, tell me when I'm wrong. Hey, go read a book, research. 
whatever topic, right? Anytime somebody wants to be educated mm-hmm. on something, we say, hey, read a book, do your Googles, whatever, go study. Okay, cool. So when people start studying freedom and guns, and then they start putting two, to two together, let me ask you a question. There are roughly 43 Americans, million Americans in this country uh, that identify as black or African-American. How many of them were free people or free people in 1776? Just maybe five, like just very sprinkles of, of them, right? We yeah, can look very, up history very, and you can find few. a dabble. But right. they were like few and far between, right? Right, right. It was not a normal so, thing. Not a normal thing at all. As a matter of fact, they were almost killed all the dang on time because people didn't like the fact right. that they were free. So when you look at that, how are you then telling 43 million Americans to look at the year 1776 after you tell them to research and be educated when they weren't even considered human in 1776? They were no different than a horse, a pig, uh, a barn, right? They were property. They were cattle. So how do you tell them to celebrate freedom in a year where they, that they weren't free? Right. Right. Which is why I saw having a conversation with individuals when they get upset and mad about the recent uptick in the conversation of Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Well, 1865 might be a little bit important. Right. You're talking about 1863 Emancipation Proclamation and two years that a quarter million individuals did not realize that they were free. So if I tell you, you got to look at the population of the country as well. A yeah. quarter million people back then is, I don't know, I'm, I'm taking a, a stab in the dark, might be 20, 30 million people now, right? Because of the population uh, growth. Right. So you got a quarter million people that are still in, 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 in uh, captivity illegally. So if you want to say that 1865 is the year that we started our freedom, I'm all for that. That's why I'm all for celebrating Juneteenth and I'm all for it being a federal holiday. Mm. Because 1776 doesn't resound the same. You can be emotional, you can be in your feelings, but I'm just stating facts. Right. It doesn't resound the same. So if we want everyone to understand freedom, we need to understand that certain people might align different times in history with freedom. And you know what? You shouldn't care. Do you understand freedom? If you have a reason to understand it, if we all are pushing forward today, you should be cool with whatever brought them to this point. But what you shouldn't be mad at is a bunch of people that look back at 1776 and say, you know what? I get it from a, for, for a world history aspect. It's very important. But I'm going to need to find something a little bit closer to home. Mm. That means a little bit more to me. Because you yeah. know what? The Second Amendment, although great, was not structured for me. Why would you write a gun law for your car to be armed? You wouldn't. Right? You, you don't think about Nobody thinks about arming their dogs. No. Unless you're in the military. No, but nobody thinks about arming a you know they little uh, pet poodle running around with a nine millimeter you know bark attached to the collar like it's not something that we do realistically so right. you're not considering that so I'm not mad about what happened I'm just stating a simple fact so that's what we have to be open and honest and realize you got to remember roughly a hundred thousand people were free doing the underground railroad and that is something that's talked about worldwide so why yeah. in the hell would I not celebrate two hundred and fifty thousand people being free later on. You know, it's, I think it's really interesting. You were just saying what you were saying. And I, for, for some reason, it, it came to me that there's people who literally died during, the, during the, the, those two years that they did not know they were free, died as slaves, died in captivity. Um, we, get, we get worked up and bent out of shape about the situation in North Korea. Um, 
currently the situation in Afghanistan, which is, you know, those are all tragedies. The situation in China with the, the Uyghur Muslims. And you, you can go all over the world and look at people who are being oppressed and being harmed. And we can be upset about that. And, you know, I genuinely am. But there are people who died in captivity when they should have died as free men and free women, free children. So it's just something to think about. History and, and um, history is it's okay to discuss. You know, now look, I'm a man that will tell you quick, like I read a lot yeah. and there have been times I've been reading, man, and broke out in tears. Right. Yeah. And people will, will say, well, oh man, that, you're acting like it was yesterday. Well, if I'm acting like what I'm talking about was yesterday, then please explain to me why we keep talking about 1776, why we keep talking about Ruby Ridge, why we keep talking about the Alamo, See, and that's what I mean. Like, um, America, although there are a crap ton of great people in this country, man, people have to understand, to love someone is to tell them the truth, all right? I love America enough that I'm willing to tell her the truth. Yeah, You're hiding things from her, right? And I'm not going to do that. So it's okay. I can say I absolutely love you. I absolutely care about you. I wouldn't live in any other country on the planet. But it don't mean that I'm not going to tell you the truth. No different than my kids. I love my kids more than I can even put into words. But what do you do? You tell them the truth. You got to right? tell them what it is. You got to tell them what it is. So because you want best for them, right? Exactly. Now, when we start thinking about uh, thinking about those things, it's OK for Americans to bring up all these other things. But then you want to get kind of testy or say it was you act like it was yesterday. Well, let me ask you a question. Pearl Harbor, horrible incident, right? Horrible incident. Right. Nobody celebrates Pearl Harbor, right? Even no. the Japanese realized they screwed up. Nobody celebrates that, right? It was horrible. We lost a lot of lives. But I'll ask people, I'm like, hey, man, you know, that was that was horrible. We did have a foreign entity come through um, and slaughter a bunch of our servicemen, you know, and it was horrible. And my heart goes out to them. And it's 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 it's, it's bad. I don't know another word to say. It's horrible. But let me ask you a question. When were the first um, bombs dropped from planes in this country that we have in documented history? Was it Pearl Harbor or was it Tulsa, Oklahoma? So see what hmm. happens is. America get Americans get mad when you say, oh, America was definitely a victim of some stuff. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But America was also the one doing the victimizing at a particular point. And sometimes it teeter tottered back and forth. But Americans was wrong, too. When American law enforcement, you know, decided that they were going to, you know, help civilians slaughter a group of people. We have to go back to uh, even when we start talking about Black Wall Street. Remember, one of the ways that you were deputized, they broke into a hardware store, and I won't get into the long story, but just to prove a point to Americans. You want us to celebrate certain things and not others. Do you know that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that, by the way, before anybody says, well, well, it was it was probably the Democrats with a party of racism. All right, I ain't going to argue with you. I just want to tell you that they had a Republican governor and a Republican mayor when Tulsa, Oklahoma happened. So continuing mm-hmm. on. Um, when that when that occurred, one of the cops that broke into a hardware store, because that's where you could buy guns from back then, uh, broke into a hardware store in a way that they deputized, deputized some of the civilians to go out and help with the kill, you know, the black community, was saying, grab a gun, get a nigger. That was 100 years ago. So you can't expect me to be all up in arms about atrocities that happened to America as a whole but then expect me to just ignore what America did to me. And I do yeah. say me because it was my lineage, which is another reason why well, I'll get on that later, but I have a whole philosophy around when people say, 
Y'all, well, black people need to get the hoods together. All right, man. Do, can we agree that America is what two hundred and how old is America? Two hundred and forty-three. Give or take two hundred and fifty years off. I think it's two hundred and forty-three years off, if I'm not mistaken. But she is a, a, a very, very young nation. Right. Is America still working on herself? I, I certainly hope so. Is America flawed? Right, because if you say that she's a toddler compared to some of these ancient civilizations in the world, right. cool. We expect that, right? Like, right. yo, yeah, it's gonna she's happen. Gonna, she's gonna, yeah, she's gonna make mistakes. Well, here's my conversation to that. Hey, America, uh, understand this, and I'm not taking excusing people from personal accountability here. So Never. nobody assume that that's what I'm doing because you are accountable for your own actions. But as a whole, let me ask you this: If America is 250-ish years old and still getting it together. What happens when people in this country just 50, 60 years ago actually got freedom to even sit in the same restaurants as the rest of Americans? Hmm. Actually start getting access to education maybe just 35 years ago, like the rest of Americans. How about the fact that we were still in, um, in the 19th century when we were developing subdivisions like Levittown were telling the federal government was still saying to uh, Levittown, the developer of Levittown, which is over on the East Coast, the largest suburb the nation was going to build, when they say we're going to build homes from $7,000 to $10,000, uh, single-family units, that the average working person could afford, right? So yeah. you had a lot of blue-collar laborers going over there. Those homes now go for well over $200,000 and on up, depending on what you did. But explain this to me. If the, the federal government wrote into law that, yeah, they would loan money to help this subdivision or this development be built. However, in writing, you could not lease, loan, or sell any of that land to a black person. So the reason why that's important is if you made a, if your family made a $7,000 investment in the 50s, 60s, maybe early 70s, depending on when they bought, if they made a $10,000 investment then, and that investment 40 years, 50 years later is worth $350,000, what can you do with that equity? Can you pay for your kids to go to college? Can you start a business? Can you invest your money? Can you pay your way out of debt and start building your generational wealth up debt free from an investment you made, which is an asset as a piece of property? Can you do that? The answer is absolutely yes. And you can do plenty of other things with it, right? You can help out your, your extended family, get rid of mm -hmm. their debt. Well, understanding that that happens and then you tell this whole other group of Americans, this ain't for you. You can't come over here. So when you look at it, Civil rights era 1965, when you want to say it's ended, nobody thinks that everything went away in 65. So let's just be fair and give it 10 years for America to come to terms. 1975, hell, I was born in 1979. So within my lifetime, hmm. we just gained equal rights and privileges or started to across the board with the rest of America. So how can America say, be, be nice to me? I'm only 250 years old, but I'm less than 50 years old and you won't be kind to me and let me grow. Wow. Just saying. <laughs> Just you make it plain, man. Make it plain. You know, so now that does not exclude personal accountability. So let me be very Never. clear about that. Because once we start having these conversations about how you've been set up. Now, you know. Yeah. See, the problem is when you don't know. But when somebody makes you aware and you have the information and the education and the knowledge. Now, you know. Now you don't have an excuse. So I don't want to hear nothing about, man, I was still out there in the streets because I couldn't eat. Yeah, you can. 
Yeah, you can. And let's be honest, I tell cats all the time. Look, I, I grew up with us. I was, I'm a product of it. Half you cats ain't feeding your family, man. You buying whips to impress chicks. You ain't, you ain't really throwing no bread back to mama like that. Mama still staying living on Section 8. You could have went and put that crib that was $5,000 that was an abandoned on the block. And instead of putting 40 grand into your car, you could have flipped that house for mama. You know mm. what I mean? Like you could have did that for her and put your moms up. So when you get to a lot of cats, when they hustling and talking about, oh, well, I'm doing this because I'm just trying to fit. Man, your kids ain't even seen you in a year, playboy. You ain't doing that for your kids. And if you think that you're trying to build yourself up to look like a wealthy father before you show up for your kids, and I'm questioning your integrity anyway. Your kids ain't looking for, you know, uh, a millionaire to show up. Your kids looking for daddy to show up, whether he got a dollar in his pocket, a pack of Roman noodles in his pocket, or a million dollars in his pocket. So it's, mm. a, it's a lot of personal accountability that goes into that as well. I don't want to hear nothing no more about, man, it's just out here, you know what I'm saying? I'm in the streets. I'm doing, I, I was too. So you can't preach that to me because I was mm. too. You want to talk about violence. You want to you have a conversation about illicit activities. You want to start talking about all those things, man. We can, we can sit. We can chop it up. We can have a cigar. And we can talk all night about that stuff. However, when do you hold yourself accountable? Because steadily blaming someone else or blaming a system, you're still at fault. Because if you tell me, look, man, I'm just trying what I got to do to hustle. Well, you can buy a fifty, sixty thousand dollar car, put some put, put some twenty twos, some twenty fours on it, or dunk it out, put some paint on that thing, throw a couple of JBLs in the back, or a couple of kickers, get you some uh, mono class amps, you know, D class amps, you know, mono, mm-hmm. going to each sub, and you got the touch screen and the whip, and you hitting them corners. Man, look, you don't turn up for education and information. You turn the music up for them chicks when you hitting the block. Then what you do? You throw some babies in them shorties. They uneducated. They don't know better. Now we got more of these bastard children out here. That's the, the women steadily got to go to the system for support. You ain't doing nothing to feed, feed the block, man. You you feeding your ego, mm. right? And that's a conversation we got to be able to have. So I'm not all for blaming America. America did what America did. But now that we know, what you going to do? As an right. individual, as a person, holding someone accountable. That's why I tell people all the time, like, you, you want to come to me and talk about, oh, me, oh, my, I'm with it. But see, I sit back and I peep game. And when somebody show me the game, okay. Now, let me look at how, how, how my opponent is entrenched in. I want to know their schemes and their strategies. Okay. So once I take a little time and research that, now my job is to beat you. And I got to defeat you with your own game. So now mm-hmm. information, education, relying upon each other, asking questions, having allies where applicable, right? And getting that information in that game and coming out. I tell people all the time, man, I, I don't do because we can talk about things that have happened means you're not responsible for what we can achieve. I kind of got off on a tangent there, but I mean everything no. I said. Yeah, um, no, no, no. I, oh, yeah. I thought it was I thought it was definitely good, and I feel like people will really be able to gain a lot from what you just said because there's a lot of folks who they're still kind of stuck in this in this weird way of thinking where they don't they don't see what's possible. Like my dad, I don't really talk about myself too much on this show, but my dad recently got his PhD. And he's a black man who, when when he was in high school, he couldn't read, you know, but he finally all, did it. First of all, <laughs> and stop. so yes, stop. sir, stop. Let's give it up for Dad. Good job, Dad. You got to give Man, it up. No pops. Okay, go ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. And I I just think that's the craziest thing. Um, and in reality, from from myself, when I think I'm like, there's nothing I can't do. There's there's no limitations that a man can have, no matter what you look like. You can do whatever you want. My dad was in high school, couldn't read, and now he's got a PhD. Mm. You can't tell me nothing, man. Mm. <laughs> can't tell me nothing. That's what I'm talking but I, about. Man. But I see a lot of guys 
I see a lot of guys that look like me. I mean, like, man, you know, America's not for us. It's not built for us. And, and sometimes I might even agree, you know, here and there, depending on what we're talking about. But I'm like, man, in your opinion, KD, at one point, can we kind of say, you know, forget all that. It's not for me stuff. Forget all that. I need to be afraid when I'm walking out my house. And how much, like, when can we start to focus on building and protecting what we build, as we talked about earlier? Right now. Right now. And, and it goes, it goes, it starts with conversations like your father. Right. Because, you know, I come from and that's why I don't do excuses. I come from a, a mom and a dad. And I don't know my old dude that well. Right. But I come from mm -hmm. a mom and a dad that neither one of them made it to high school. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I understand that there's a whole nother conversation about, you know, degrees in this country. And it is a conversation to be had. I'm, I'm not yeah. ignoring that. But I mm -hmm. set out on a personal mission to say, first thing I'm going to do is graduate high school. Now I'm sitting back with three degrees and I'm proud of that. And I got a master's hanging up on the wall. You know what I mean? I'm proud yes, of that. Sir. So we have to be able to say today, right? And so when we start talking about, you know, what are we going to do to change? It starts today. And the way that we do that is personal accountability. And then how can you look to the next person and how can you bless them mm. with something? It ain't got to be money. How can you bless them with game motivation, right? Hey, I've been there, done that. You know, how can you really pour into that individual? Now, every 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 glass you pour into ain't gonna retain it. Some of them got cracks yeah. and leaks. Some of them are shattered. It is what it is, right? Yeah. But how can you pay it for? But personal accountability is gonna be the first thing because we do too much to tear each other down. Mm -hmm. First of all, that's why you. If anybody looks at my platform, you've never seen me ever. You've never seen me go after another instructor ever. Mm. Right. I, I don't do it right now. If somebody says something that I'm challenging like that thing, I might have an uh, have an address to it. But we see and if I'm being very, very, um, very open here, especially when it comes to African-American instructors or black instructors, however you identify. This is the reason why a whole lot of you cats out on Rockwood, mm -hmm. because y'all don't even step in a room to really get some game. You step in a room to see if you can be better than the next. Mm. And that's why I don't rock with a lot of. Right. It's like because I'm watching you, man. I'm watching your moves. This ain't about growth. This ain't about educating the people. This isn't even about showing every other American, white, Chinese or whatever, that, yes, black men and women can actually bring fruitful, intelligent education to this realm of Second Amendment. Right. We are here not just in owning the guns, but owning the businesses, sharing the information, training, instructing. Hey, we are a part of this. That's not even your mission. Your mission is to prove that you are better than thou. Some of you mm. cats are so crab in a bucket, it's ridiculous. So that's why I can be over here doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and I only get a game to certain select you, mm. right? Because I want people in a room that's trying to be the best version of themselves, not people that's trying to be, oh, oh, man, I can run a, I can run a gun better than, oh, boy, or oh, I can give better speeches than this dude, or, you know, my T-shirt look better tighter than this cat, or uh, I got more guns than this dude. Because a whole lot of a whole lot of black folks are not used to freedom. And as soon as mm. they get a taste of it, they want to prove that they are better than. And it's a it's a it's a stupid mentality. It's the same mentality when you are on the block and you get a little bit of money. You don't go out and even just try to move straight to the suburbs. And if you do, you bring your showboat and ass car back through the hood mm. because you want to show everybody that you've achieved and you're better. Right. And you call that bullshit inspiration. It ain't inspiration. Right. It's flossing is what it is. But then when we're looking at even a lot of black people in this in this sphere, it's all about 
how can I prove that I am the ultra black man or the ultra black woman? Instead of you saying, let me get some of this game. Let me go ahead and invest in myself. And you know what? If, if uh, Atlas or KD or whomever is willing to give me a little something, then I'm going to pluck out of that what I like, what makes me stronger. And I'm just going to go out and try to be the best version of me. But the, the Second Amendment community is just a small sample size of why a lot of black people in general can't get together. You can't even figure out which black is the right black. Mm. We can't even figure Ooh. that part out. Woo. So, yeah. Which which black is the white right black? Is this it? Is it the is it the hoteps? Is it the Pan-African? Is it the um, the dude that's identified as a sellout? And I tell people, stop calling people sellouts. They never bought in. Um, is it mm. like who is it like? What is the what is the best representation of black? So if I say I'm not a, a, a hotep or a Pan-African, then all of a sudden I'm not the best version of black. If I don't, you know, say um, all white people are the devil. Because they're not. Uh, if I don't agree with your sentiment saying that, then all of a sudden I'm the enemy. I'm a sellout. If you see me rocking and kicking it with people that are Caucasian, then all of a sudden, oh, he over here, he being a sellout, he doing this and he doing that. I'm like, how silly are y'all? We can't even figure out which is the right black because contrary to popular belief, black people cry from freedom to, from America just to enslave each other. It's all the hell you did. The only difference is you're doing it with words. You're doing it with words. You're right. Uh, now we call it the cancel culture. But before that, what you wanted to do is enslave each other with words or to prove that you are better at a thing than somebody else. And that's why we can't grow. That's why we don't get enough movement, whether it be in the educational sphere. I've seen that a million gazillion times in education where people are like, oh, well, I'm a, I, I got a degree in this. OK, well, I got a degree in that. And instead of them figuring out like how they can, you know, and I'm not saying there aren't examples of that, but I've seen a lot of people instead of figuring out. Yo, how can we take our education and experiences and work together? They start competing. Same thing I see in the Second Amendment industry. Cats want to start, you know, and you might be good at what you do. I'm not knocking you. You might yeah. be top 10 in the world at what you do. But you come in with this era and this arrogance of I am thou, I am thee. Right. And I, and that's why I tell people, man, and that's why you fail. Because you're not looking to help. Everybody want to be like, you know, oh, we want to grow this thing. And we want to show that we actually deserve a place in it. Then why it's uh, just got to why the place just got to be for you? Why are you acting like this the Highlander movie? Why why it's just got to be one? How come you not you're not pouring game and information among other people now? Should you make them put some skin in the game? Absolutely, and I know we'll talk about training learning in a minute. But absolutely, you should make them put some skin in the game. But we don't we we can't figure it out from the Second Amendment. We can't figure it out from a community standard. You know, we look for every single reason to tell somebody that they blackness ain't black enough. Um, I had a lot of people, some of it's funny, some of it not, but a lot of individuals kept saying, I don't know, understand why Katie got an opinion about black women. You ain't even, you ain't even, you, you, with a white girl. I'm like, mm. somebody show me this white girl. And I'm not saying that I would change my tune if I was with a, uh, a white girl, but my wife is as black as your microphone. <laughs> Let's go. So are you serious? People, people <laughs> accusing you of, of marrying somebody you never married? Dog, never. Yeah, and I, and, and I want to be very clear. If I would have married a white woman, that don't change my tune. Right. But I, I just right. didn't. I, you know, the woman that I met and I fell in love with is black. Yeah. So I'm like, Incredible. So you, any reason to make up in your mind, and you know what a couple of people told me? And it's cool. It was just like, I'm going to be honest with you. It was your vernacular and the way that you spoke. I'm like, damn, there we go again. There we go again. You, no. you, you, you see what I'm saying? And it's just ingrained in us so much. And that's what we right need here, to man. change. 
that hits me right here because I was working um, when I lived in Virginia. I was working at this call center, and somehow it came up that my my fiance at the time, my wife now, was black. People were like, "What? Your girl's black?" I'm like, "Yeah. What you mean? Though? Like she's black? She's like you know, she she, she black black. Like she's she's from the country. She's black. Like she's beautiful. I love her, but man." You, you speak a certain way, you, you carry yourself, you achieve a certain level of success, you, you work in a certain field, and all of a sudden, oh, black women aren't for you. And then black women get hurt by hearing stuff like that, and now everybody, everybody starts to feel like, like there's something wrong with them. It hurts my heart. Man, you, you know, it's, uh, and it, it's sad, because I look at so many, so many. I'm, I'm not saying we haven't had great people throughout history. But man, you know, I remember sitting back like five or six years ago when I was I was uh, maybe about four or five years ago, but I was I was chopping it up what I believe it was uh Maj and I think I've had this conversation with Noir, a few other brothers. And I was like, man, you know what the, the beautiful thing is? Everybody bring their own their own thing, right? Like nobody's trying to mimic or copy. Everybody's got their own thing. And I'm like, man, you know what's beautiful? Like no time in history. We have not just brothers that are articulate, but are willing to be voiceful and have the vehicle, social media, mm -hmm. to do it on, right? That are willing to get out here and talk about freedom in their own way. And we need to capitalize off of this moment in time, and we need to absolutely tear some shit up doing it, right? And everybody do it their own way. Now, if I can ever do anything behind the scenes to help one of my, one of my, my guys out, I'm with it. I'm with it all day long. Let's go. But that's what we got to get to doing. We got to get to taking advantage of what we have now. And, but even in this microcosm known as the Second Amendment, man, it's like all these, all this behind the scenes chatter. And stop telling your friends in these private groups like they're not screenshotting what y'all saying and sending it out, man. Stop. Let me give you some game. Stop doing that. Because they screenshotting what you said, and then it'd be mm -hmm. three weeks later that you slide into the same person DM asking for some advice. Mm -hmm. Stop doing it. Yeah, but we can't we can't get to the point to where we can build and grow without looking for a reason to say you ain't black enough or this discredits you from being black. Motherfucker, mm -hmm. the fact that I am still breathing and living and this melanin is popping in my skin is all the proof of blackness that I need. Who I am yeah. on the inside and what I've done for people. And I've had cats come. I'm like, hey, man, cool, because everybody's great in their own rights. What's the one? I, I don't think anybody would disagree that fathers are one of the things that we need and, and to fix this whole situation. Absolutely. Well, there, I, there I, are some people who would disagree, but I don't listen to those people because no, no, I, no, no, I ain't tripping off that new movement. I don't understand what dads mean because I, I, I miss one. I understand what they mean. Well, yeah. I've literally taken time out of my life and put one way or another 120 fathers back into the active lives of their children. Let's go. You see what I'm saying? Let's go. That, that's that's invaluable. You that's can't put money on that. Invaluable. So while everybody else is like, oh, well, you know, I'm trying to, you know, and, and people was, oh, I was over here doing this. And uh, and sometimes even, you know, Second Amendment dudes, oh, I was I was over here doing this. And I, I was on the cover of this magazine. I'm like, hey, homeboy, been Doesn't on the cover matter. of the magazines. Good to go. I'm proud of you. Like, hey, it's an achievement. I'm like, hey, thumbs that's up. Nice, while you bro. was doing that, the reason why I wasn't vibing for that magazine cover, because I was over here working with the NFL through Tony Junji, putting these dads, giving them games, sitting at the elementary schools at nine o'clock in the morning with the kids sitting in the room and me and the fathers and 36 children and fathers at one time having a conversation about why these kids are disappointed in their fathers 
looking mm. at the fathers crying in the room, hugging these fathers, building these men up, telling these men that these babies just telling you the truth. But what can we do to make you better? Right? You, I, I don't see you out here doing that kind of work. Miss me with the gun talk. Miss me with the you black and in black. Get out there and do some work. And when you do your work, don't compare it to nobody else's work. Just do you. Wow. Because wow. we all going to be great in our own way. So when I don't run up in nobody's face, this maybe, maybe you know, did a food giveaway in it on a block or whatever. I don't run up on them and be like, hmm, but have you put $120? I'm like, yo, hey, man, anything? Hey, can I slide you $20 on this? $50 on this? $100 on this? Hey, what can I do to assist you? Like, what you need from me? You need me to share the post? Like, what you need? That's right. Right? Let me, let me help you be great. Because that's the only way that we're going to achieve this. And black men especially get on my nerves. Because y'all be the first ones talking about black men need to take his spot back in society and prove to his woman he can be there because we were ripped from the homes. Facts. But we were ripped from the homes and we need to show our... Cool, man. Let me ask you a question. What's the point of you establishing all this greatness and then everybody from the women and the children looking at us, all they do is see us going at each other's throats. Mm. All they do is seeing us comparing and contrasting each other. All they see mm. us doing is trying to uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm better than him. Don't listen to him. Listen to me. Some some of y'all egos are too fragile. You really need to shut up sometimes. And and I think I think the thing is a lot of a lot of men, because they never really seen what it was like to be like an alpha personality. They assume that when they walk in a room, they have to exert themselves or they got to be like the cool kid from high school. Look, bro, when we out here trying to really, really, truly change lives, you want to start talking about. Ballistic code over kinetic alignment, anatomy, uh, neuroscience, optical vision and everything when it comes to shooting. Let's rock. Let's rock. But when you want to start talking about impacting lives and when you want to start talking about changing the life behind a gun. When you want to start giving that person holding that gun a reason, like a really understood reason to knock old boy or old girl down on the ground in front of them. When you want to start having them kind of conversations, then holler at me until then shut the fuck up. Because I, I, it, it's, it's old, it's done, and I get tired of it. And even and I see it in other spheres, even with mentoring, man. I've seen mentors. Like, you just supposed to be here encouraging people. And I'm sitting back watching, and I got mentors like, well, I, I, I motivate people better than him. Get the, are you serious? Mm. Look, man, I believe that I have a natural gift for speaking, right? And I'm an introvert by nature. And that's the crazy really? part. I prefer not to talk. <laughs> that's the crazy part. That's funny. Part. <laughs> but I'm willing to do it because I want to see change. Let's go. But I would never, I, I would never reach 100% of people. You could be sitting some, you seem more laid back, relaxed, and you might say something. I could have been talking to these 15 kids for three years, and you might come in the room and in 30 seconds say something, and they, they get it. That's and how we it works, have so. to, and that's how it works. And we have to be able to accept that and yeah, encourage each okay other to that. do that. Yeah. Shit. Black men get on my damn nerves sometimes, man. You're taking all this ability to be leaders. And come together and do some stuff and, and really create positive change. And the only thing you do is sit back and start having a, 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 a penis measuring contest, trying to figure out who who's reaches the furthest, trying to figure out who do what. And I do this. And y'all really stupid when it comes to these guns. Oh, man, I comp this new 300 blackout, this and that. I'm the best one out here with it. You know what, man? Take you and that 30 caliber cartridge and take your ass out to the range. And I just want you to do me a favor. Live out there and be great in that by the, while the rest of us really do some work to change America. And shut the hell up. Make your little cute video and shut up. Let's go. Now, I actually did want to touch on this because I know you mentioned guys like Maj, guys like Coleon, yourself, and just Mm -hmm. some of the attacks that you guys get. Um, I I would say Coleon being the most visible in regards to 
people accusing him of not being down for black people, not being for the culture. And I don't, I don't know him personally. I know you have a better relationship mm -hmm. than, than I could hope to have being that I've never actually met him. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and this was actually one of the questions that someone dropped for the Q and a, uh, it was a private DM question. How do you handle the people that you're trying to help and the people that could look to you for, for some free game, for some advice, for some motivation, encouragement, um, for direction, accusing you of just being a coon. You know what, man? A couple of years ago, I used to get that energy. Mm. And you know what I had to come to, and it, this goes for anybody, what I had to come to the real, realization of is this. I'm not living up to your standard. Mm. You ain't even on my radar when it comes to what I'm doing. So why would I give you energy? You know what I, what I realized, man, if I'm being honest, it helped me with that. I remember eating sugar sandwiches because there wasn't nothing else to eat. Mm. I remember taking leftover syrup out the little package you used to get from like, you know, the Waffle House or whatever. I remember taking little packets of syrup and pouring them uh, on top of the cereal and mixing it with water just to get a little bit of flavor while I'm eating the cornflakes. And I had to pick the mold off of the cornflakes. I remember that. Wow. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I remember that kind of energy. I remember my mama, you know, trying to work two, three jobs and me sleeping on the floor of the gas station behind the counter while she was trying to work. I remember that. I, re I remember everything that I had to go with. I remember being locked in a basement with a grown man violating my sexual innocence. I remember that. I remember his mama leaning against the door while I'm trying to run out and trapping me in the basement for her son can do this simple stuff to me. I remember that. I remember making it through dope dealing, prostitution, gang banging. I remember that. And you know what? I, I remember every single morning I wake up not having a father, not saying that. Every single morning I wake up, I can take a breath. And I can exhale that breath. And in a few minutes, I'm going to hear a word that means so much to me. Hmm. I'm going to hear daddy. Get what I'm saying? I'm going to hear yeah. daddy. And then when I get up out of my bed, I got a chocolate wife. I can walk out my room. I see two chocolate children that I'm raising. And my kids' biggest concern is what they eating for lunch today because of they don't want the Asian food. They kind of want some pizza today. Like that is their biggest concern. So when I wake up every right. morning and I go from sleeping on a, you know, a, a 30 by 30 concrete slab and my mama worked a butt off. But now I wake up my kids and I ain't trying to be funny, but we three stories, stories up and over 3000 square feet around this joker. That's so I'm saying every every whip sitting below me is paid for. I don't have a car. Number. So when I when I'm Free. looking at that, when I'm looking at the fact that now my boy me and him are actually having discussions about his pathway to college. You know what I'm saying? I can, I can look at my son, all 15 years old, six foot two, 220 pounds of him. And I can look oh, at boy. him. Yeah, big boy, size 16, shoot, he's huge. When I can look at him and be like, damn, man, I actually get to sit and have a conversation with you about college. My daddy never even showed up when I was in high school. So I, am I more concerned about the impact I'm having on my babies and the fact that mm. I can call my mama? See, this, this be too real for a lot of cats. The fact mm. that I could call my mama and be like, yo, mama, we did it. Not me. We did it. We changed this. I remember you telling me that your daddy was, was shot and killed because he was in the streets before you even took your first breath. Mm. I remember you telling me about how your mama used to beat you upside the head. I remember you telling me about how they told you you weren't going to be nothing. Hey, mama, you remember you told me that the family kept saying that I was going to be in, uh, in, in prison or be dead because I was being raised by you? And because you ain't let the state uh, keep me, you came back and fought for me from foster care and raised me, yet the family didn't even lend you support. Hey, mama, you remember that? Hey, mama, 
I want you to look, mama. Remember that time where we saw Michael Jackson on the cover of Time Magazine, mama? Hey, mama, look at the cover of Time Magazine. Your son is on the front of it. So you think I'm tripping off somebody calling me a coon? Because the, the, the realization is I have done more for my blackness. Fuck your blackness. I've done more for mine and changing my generation. And then when I can look up, I can go right now and grab about 60 thank you cards from kids in, in, in poverty school districts that are telling me thank you for coming to spend time. I know what it's like when a teacher cried in my arms because uh, my organization, Aiming for the Truth, which is supported by a lot of you, when Aiming for the Truth can get together with Second Amendment companies and say, yo, we're about to provide this entire step team with uniforms because these babies can't even get matching uniforms for their winter proposal. That was just a year or two ago. I remember what it was like for that teacher to hug me and cry in my arms. I remember what it's like for that kid to run up to me and thank me in Chicago when I just see him treating his mom and daddy, I mean, his mom and his little sister right, and I give him something and then sit down and give him some words like, look, man, people are always watching, and I appreciate you being a responsible young man. You were so kind and caring to your sister. I know what it's like when some of these women can say, thank you for coming over and taking time out of your day just to sit down and talk to my child about how to, you know, live. The last time I checked, I got around 10 people that are alive because I taught them gun handling skills and they still able to raise their families. So I'm not with the coon talk. Really, what I hear is you mad because you can't rock it like me. You mad because you can't get out here. Do what I do. Keep your integrity. Keep your moral standards. Be about your business and execute things without compromising yourself. And here's the thing. In, in no time in history. Can somebody say they achieved the great things with no help? Someone always helped you somewhere, right. somehow, some way, somebody. Somebody was helping MLK. Somebody was helping Martin. Somebody was helping Douglas. Somebody was always helping everybody. Pick them. Somebody was helping. So when I look at it, you mad at me because you see me with somebody that might happen to be white. Yeah, you might be mad because we having a conversation about American military politics, you know, whatever we conversing about. Sure. And you might go, oh, you know, your presence with this individual. Hey, man, let me ask you a question. What if I was to tell you that every time I sat down and had them conversations, I was able to also share game? Mm. And maybe it didn't happen in front of the camera, but maybe I'm having dinner and I'm hanging out off camera with these individuals and I'm sharing a perspective with them without yelling at them, just exchanging some information. I'm giving them the freedom to ask the tough questions. So while you are being mad about who I'm interacting with, what happens if I could tell you that I've taken people with millions of followers and changed their perspective about you and me? Because we get to have a dialogue. And then I'm able to get those same individuals to help me support urban youth and get them read materials, right? I'm the same cat while you call him a coon. I ain't seen nobody else take 60 kids to go see the movie Harriet and give them an entire um, a showcase afterwards with nothing but black female business entrepreneurs. We go to the movies and we take them back to a rec center and seven black female entrepreneurs stand in front of those, those kids and tell them. So after they saw this great black woman, now they get to see what she allowed to happen and they get to listen and learn. I didn't see nobody else. You, can, you got videos of me standing in a movie theater crying, literally crying. As I'm yelling at these kids, what are you? And they yelling free, free. And I'm telling them, what should you remain free? 
You know, like I'm, I'm getting the kids in the movie excited and reciting what I'm saying and they into it and they understand freedom. And so I go out and do all that sacrifice as a kid from the mud, Walnut Park, 5600 block of Genevieve, coming from nothing. And when I can come out here and execute everything I execute and do everything that I do, coming up well over six figures out of my own damn pocket to do this, and when I come out and I do what I do and I know how I've impacted lives, when some fool is sitting behind a keyboard talking about some, oh, because you zigged over here, when you should have zagged, you were cool, man, you could put all the meat in your mouth. Because I rock how I rock, and I don't interfere with how other people do their thing. So I don't have a kind of, uh, I don't have an opinion about how you do your thing. Look, man, live your life, do your thing. If your thing ain't negatively impacting to me, I got nothing to say to you. Because maybe I don't understand why you're doing it the way you're doing it, and that's okay. I don't have yeah. to understand. But I've seen brothers out there that disagree with me. When I see them out there, I can hit their social media. They might have a couple of sly words to say, but I see them doing work. You know what? You never see me say nothing back to them. You mm. know why? Because you doing your work is more important to me distracting people from it. Mm. And I understand that in the position I'm in, man, you really don't want to have a war words with me. You don't. And I ain't got the energy to lend to that. So since it's uh -huh. a waste of my time and I ain't got time to be demeaning another man, go do you, bro. And what you fail to realize is you hating on me calling me names and I'm your biggest supporter. Because I just want to see you do the work. I want to see you create change in your own way. And with the people that, that look at us, that follow us, especially these youngins, when they see us together or see us interacting, they should see nothing but the love and positivity. Let's go. That's all they should see. Instead of all this, oh, divide, oh, I'm better than you, or I can do this better than you, or you ain't real because you ain't doing it the way I'm we are. Look, man, this is exactly why African nations have been at war since the dawn of time is because of mm -hmm. that mentality. That's exactly why. Right. That's why we get that's why we got Rwanda. That's why we got that, because of mentalities like that. Let people be rock and be great, man. That's why that's why our great brother Malcolm ain't with us today, because people couldn't mm -hmm. take him doing his thing his way. So shut up, man. Go be great at what you do and stay off my dick. Let's and then he, the, the other thing uh, when it comes to because you brought him up directly when it comes to uh, the brother New War, man, let me be, let me be very honest. I know a lot of people got concerns and questions about him and that man can speak for himself. But let me keep okay. it above with you. Nawar himself, without ever bragging about it, kicked open so many doors for me. And I'm talking about me mm -hmm. directly. I know what it was like to get a phone call from that brother. And he's like, yo, I got ABCD CEO and board of directors in the room. We right now you on speakerphone. We talking about you. Let's go. I know what that phone call was like because I received it. All right. I know what it was like when that brother had his uh, his last show on NRA TV. If you look at his last, you know, few, I was all over the place. Yeah, I was all in those episodes. You don't think he had something to do with that? Yeah, right. You don't think that was giving me some exposure? I know what it was. I know what it's like when the brother was like, "Yo, we need to make sure a crew go to St. Louis and document what Kevin's doing." Right. And the only reason he didn't make it was because his father was going through a mental, uh, um, not mental. I'm sorry, some medical issues. So I know what it's like. So am I gonna try to say you shouldn't ever be concerned with anything the brother says? No. You got the right to criticize him just like you got the right to criticize me. What I will say, though, is I'm going to hold the same energy for him as I hold for myself. Why does he have to do things the way you say it needs to be done in order, in order for him to say he's doing his part to push this movement forward? Right. Like, you don't think as an attorney he could go make more money practicing law than he can talking about guns? Come on, let's be real. I mean, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's, let's be real. He could yeah. dip. He could dip. I made it on Bill Moore. He did, representing gun owners. 
I haven't made it on yeah. Joe Rogan. I think he did twice, right? Yeah. Why, why, why waste your time talking about guns? Like it's not. You, you, for, like they foolish. They you know. And it, I don't wasting no. episodes talking about uh, black folks on his on his uh, uh, NRA TV show because he did a few episodes talking about black people and firearms. Yeah. Why would he? Why would he waste the? Why would he waste the airtime if he didn't care? Well, his his thing is, and I can I can just say this from being at, at the end of it myself is man, you can never. You can never be black enough for it. Now, look, man, I got no. I got several dudes in this game that I look at. You know, what I'm saying I look at because I respect them. Like we have off camera conversations that will always remain private. I don't give a damn mm-hmm. if we start beefing them all. You'll never know about our private conversations. Right. But these brothers, man, literally pour everything they got into this. And it's damn near kind of hurtful. You know, when we sit back and we exchange information and just frustrations as homies and they're like, man, I done, done all this ABCDFG and I ain't trying to say I did it right. But damn, why? Why my own people coming at me like this? Mm-hmm. Why, no, you're right. How come they can't see? And here's another problem with, with, with black folks, man. They want you to spell the game out for them in public. Mm-hmm. Bro, you ain't meant to understand every move. Let me work. So you, you want work. me to tell the world the, the strategy? Just go tell them everything we're about to do. Let me work. I mean, and nobody no harm. But I'm damn sure going to push things forward. Let me work just like I let you work, you know, and let's be honest with each other. What's going to be the outcome? First of all, I'm a grown ass man. I ain't got time to be exchanging words with another grown man over the Internet. I tell people all the time, you get a two response maximum from me. After that, man, I'm done talking to you. I I just ain't got the energy. But we understand we have to be honest about where we come from. Many of us come from a place where we're only doing so much talking. Right. Yeah. So after talking with. You know, so, OK, you, 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 you scuffle, you throw down. What did you prove? Win, lose or draw. What did you prove? You know what you prove? You got lucky. Black men can't have conversations without being violent. That y'all still rather attack each other. You know, still after each other's throats. You can't agree to disagree. You don't know how to create synergy. You don't know how to become stronger during your differences. All y'all know how to do is kill each other. That's it. Whether you're killing each other really physically or you're killing each other's missions, movements or mindsets all you know how to do is kill each other so you you think me if i was a white supremacist what the hell i gotta do it for you mad you i'm not i don't give a damn about them walking through philly with they live cute signs looking like walmart employees (laughs) but they really ain't got to do the work why they ain't got to do the work because they ain't got all i got to do is keep talking all you got to do is keep talking and somebody that look just like you will be the one to destroy Mm. it doesn't have to be that way we don't have to prove any of that we could prove them wrong every day of the week. Man. That's hard. Yeah, shouts out to all my real for the for the yeah. individuals and the gentlemen out there that are doing their own thing. And big shouts out to the people that have disagreements with other men and never talk about it. Mm-hmm. Huge shouts out to you. Shouts out to the people that put their head down and do work. Shouts out to all the brothers that I know have given me game have allowed me to share game with them. And we allow each other freedom to be great in our own realms. Shouts out to you because you don't get enough uh, credit. You don't get enough respect. So for those with your head down doing work, salute. I don't care if you change in one life or a million. Salute. That's awesome, man. Wow. We've, uh, we've hit that one hour point, man. You have time for a few questions from the audience. All right, let's let's go ahead and take a few of them. I'm not going to keep you all night. Okay. 
So this one, this was actually a, a really interesting question. Um, what do you think that we can do to, to bridge the, cap, the gap and bring unity to the black 2A community and the 2A community at large, that including the LGBT 2A community, Latino, Asian, et cetera? Um, only thing I can say is, you know, be honest with you, be allow a first be humble and allow people to be free. Right. Because we're all mm-hmm. going to have certain biases that exist in us. Maybe you have a bias against LGBTQ. Maybe you have a bias against women. Maybe you don't trust somebody that's not black. Maybe you don't trust black people. Right. But you have to put all those different things to the side and you have to come to the understanding that it's about freedom. You want to be free. And there are people that disagree with you. So who are you to deny freedom to somebody else that you disagree with? Allow everyone to be free. Be okay with representing whatever you represent, but understand that there is plenty of room and plenty of lanes for other individuals that might see life differently. Approach Mm -hmm. them with a kind heart, understanding, and guess what? Do unity a favor. If it's someone that maybe hasn't reached that level of maturity, don't go further with them. Back off until they get there, right? And you high-five them from a distance. High-five them from a distance. That's the only way we're gonna grow, by sitting aside our biases, understanding that everyone has their lane, everybody wants to be free, and then sharing a message of freedom with people in an encouraging manner, and then actually doing the work, right? Actually getting out. So take someone that normally comes from a different side of the tracks with you to the ranch. Like, you do that. Reach out to them. Hey, where you at? You know what? You're only an hour from my house. Want to meet at this gun range one day and then have lunch afterwards with somebody that you see life totally different uh, from, right? Do that, and that's that groundwork that will show you that, hey, you know what? This isn't that bad. And maybe you can show them this isn't that bad. And if you go back and tell 20 people and they go back and tell 20 people, we can start spreading a good word that way. That's awesome. I appreciate that answer, man. So here's here's an interesting one. Um, what are some of your thoughts or talking points when speaking with our youth about the 2A topics? Do you talk to kids about 2A? I do. Okay. Um, I don't talk to kids under the guise of Second Amendment, though. I talk to them about guns, right? Mm-hmm. And not before we even talk about the guns, we talk about um, our attitudes. We talk about good behavior. We talk about how to de-escalate from a situation, um, how to control our emotions, having emotional maturity, what that looks like, how do we start as a child, you know, and things like that. Once we get through having those kind of conversations, we start talking about the gun. What I like to do is dispel to the kids what they've been fed a gun is. So for an example, this is once again, going back to do the work. A little while ago, I took 17 urban kids to Boneville, Missouri, to the factory of CMMG, right? And they are a rifle manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And I took them to the factory of CMMG to allow them, uh, well, CMMG allowed them. We did a factory tour, saw how guns were made, saw the cool aspect of guns, right? From the Cerakote to the engineering, um, to everything that goes into it, to the men and women making the guns, to how the guns were shipped out, to really talking about what a gun is and how it works, to then taking the kids out to a range, allowing them to shoot the guns they just got through looking at being assembled, to breaking bread with the kids, but they can get to meet these individuals and have those kind of conversations. That's one example of how I break the stigmatism of what a gun is. Right. Right? So um, I always encourage people to talk to the child about emotional maturity and avoiding negative situations before you talk about the gun, but I'm not going to run up on a kid talking about, hey, hey, 12-year-old, Second Amendment. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to be like, hey, hey, what do you think a gun is, right? And let these kids really yeah. walk what they associate guns with 
and then work on uh, helping them become more emotionally mature and then properly introducing what a gun is in a positive light to the child. Yeah, I think that that does fall in line with, you know, the choice brand and um, the the values of that of that organization, of course, yourself. So that that makes perfect sense. Okay, so this last question I have for you, I'm going to hold it to three just because I know, you know, we we did go over time just a little bit. Uh, What does it feel? um, What do you feel is the best approach when um, dealing with others who are curious about firearms and are maybe interested in taking the leap into it? So I would encourage once you run into somebody like that. Oh, and FYI, man, I got a little extra time if you want to go. It's your show, though, so I can continue to go. But that's up to you. Uh, but uh, what I would go. to the question is this. Once you get someone like that, man, I want you to do a lot of listening. Like, ask a question and listen. And l- actively listen to them. And then let them pour out a lot before you start giving solutions, right? Let them pour out a lot. And then once you get enough to say, hey, you know what? I heard what you said. Hey, you're afraid because you've never shot a gun or you've only seen guns used in a negative manner. Or, you, you, you know, maybe you're a little shy because you don't want to be embarrassed because you go out and shoot and people assume you should know how to do it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, I just want to let you know, I promise not to put you through any of those situations. And I would I would love it if you would give me the pleasure of maybe exposing you to firearms. Right. Mm-hmm. Humble yourself to them. And you will find that if you're listening, you're humble and you're kind and you're not immediately throwing out. My granddad took me shooting once. Your granddad didn't teach you nothing. Let me take you out and show you something. No, 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 no. Just listen. Hey, it's probably I know it's been 20 years since you and granddad had the great pleasure of shooting. I'm just available if you want to go out and maybe shoot a more modern gun now or, you know, maybe even show me what grandpa uh, showed you. Right. And then take that opportunity to positively introduce the gun to him and figure out what else you have in common outside of guns. Are you both parents? Mm -hmm. Do you both like to fish? And sometimes uh, mingling those other conversations in builds this unity amongst each other where it feels like they're being exposed to a new activity through a friend versus a gun person. Yeah. Right. So, you know, be a little bit more strategic. I often ask people, you know, well, who are you? And I'd be like, what do you mean? Like people walk up to me at conventions. I'll be like, yeah, it's great. But who are you? And they're like, huh? I was like, no, I want to know you. And they're like, well, I'm I'm Jim. I'm from um, Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> I work in construction. I'm like, cool, Jim. So how long you been doing construction? Because I'm a certified seaman mason, and I am. So I'm like, how long you been doing construction? Oh man, I've been, oh, man, I've been doing being a carpenter for so long. Hey man, those masons get on your nerves. You know what? They kind of do. I'm sorry. I apologize for all the seaman masons out there at a bricklayer. <laughs> My bad. And then you start laughing, and you find these other things in common, yeah. and then the guns just become a natural fit, like. Yo, man, you, you going to the rain Saturday or not? Yeah, oh, hell yeah, because it's like going with a buddy versus going with a gun person. Sure thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I did um, I did tune into one of your to one of your lives um, a couple weeks back, and there was a name that came up and a story you were telling, um, a guy named David Hayes, and yeah. I wanted to maybe touch on that if that if that was all right. So Officer Hayes was um he was a he was a, a good buddy of mine. He worked for um he eventually he, he I'm sorry, not eventually, he originally worked for DOC, which is Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. And um he was just a really good dude. And he, I remember he came up to me one day and we had built a friendship uh because the police department and DOC at one point in time shared a building. 
And he came up to me. He was like, hey, man, I think I want to go to the uh, I think I want to become a cop. You got, you know, anybody I could talk to, uh, anybody I can get some advice from. So I was like, sure. So, you know, I just gave him a couple of names, people he could have some off the book conversations with, you know. And he said, you know what, I made made up my mind because he just wanted to ask questions to see if it's something he really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And he made up his mind. And Dave was a, I mean, he was a good, solid dude. And he um, he got on patrol. He made it through the academy, got on patrol. And David Hayes, uh, and this is why I kind of tell people when they're like, oh, screw all cops. I'm like, slow that down, homeboy. Yeah. Um, David was on his way to a 14-year-old kid that was home alone coming home from school, and somebody was trying to kick in the door. Yeah. David ran code to get to the kid and save the kid and was two-boned by another car in his way there, on his way there. So David was just one of these really good, solid-earth people that really wanted to protect his community, do right by people, stop crime, the whole thing, right? And he was killed, you know, in an accident, going to rescue a child from a home invasion. And yeah. I, that, that, and he, we still have a portion of one of our highways named after him. But I just remember mm-hmm. laughing with that guy. I remember talking to him. He was a white, white dude, but we used to talk about hip hop music all the time, right? Because he liked a little bit of hip hop. And so we just yeah. used to rock rap about that. He had no, no question asking me. I mean, no, no, um, he didn't take any, have any hesitation asking me what it was like to be from the city. Like what, yeah. like what it was like to grow up with. And you know what I figured out at the end, you know why he was asking me those questions? Because he also wanted to, he wanted to serve that same community. So he actually uh-huh. wanted to have a little bit of knowledge of what it was like to come from that environment, you know? So he didn't go out there with a perceived notion of what it was like. Mm-hmm. So just a good all around dude. And we lost him uh, on his way to protect the child uh, from a home invasion. So big shouts out to him, man. You know, that broke my heart when he uh, passed away. But yeah, that's who David Hayes is, man. Good, good dude. He died. Um, it's probably about 12, 13 years ago that he passed away. But he was a really, really good person. Oh, that's well. Thank you for telling his story. That's definitely powerful. And I think it's, I think it's interesting because uh, even myself have been critical when, when the, when it, when it was the time was right to be critical of negative policing actions. And sometimes police as a whole get lumped into, oh. You know, cops are bad, cops are trash, X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. The only good, good cop is one that's not here, X, Y, and Z. You hear that kind of stuff in conversations where, you know, people are people are hurting, people have bad feelings. Um, so when I heard that story, I was like, man, that needs to be told again and again. The story of David doesn't need to die. Yeah, it's, Definitely, um, thank you for telling you. Nothing wrong with critiquing um, law enforcement. You have a right to. Everybody does. I do. <laughs> like I am not shy about it. At the same time, we do have to uh, remember that there are men and women out there that are not what we see on TV. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you, and we have to we 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 can we can hold people accountable because I'm not one of them people that's like the blue wall and you can do whatever you want to do. And I love it when people come after me like. Oh, my God, you're anti-cop. I'm like, you, have you ever had a DSM? Because I had one for 10 years. All right? Can um, you uh, break down the acronym, DSM? A DSM, designated serial number. Mm-hmm. Right? So a DSM would be the number you have as an employee. Right? Mm-hmm. So you get a DSM. So designated serial number. So you identify by your number like you get an employee ID when you work at a job. Right? right. Your employee ID number. Or, hell, a prison number. Prison number. So... I'm like, you know, you you haven't had one of those I've had for 10 years. So I literally spent 10 years of my life back in the blue without, you know, without without question or concern. 
So I think that my decade gave me a right to have a damn opinion. Yeah. I, first of all, the fact that I'm breathing gives me a right to have an opinion. But I, I might have a little bit of opinion. Like when people talked about Derek Chauvin, what he was and what he wasn't doing wrong to George Floyd. I'm like, hey, um, I'm not saying there aren't people out there that have a, a different opinion than me that have taken people down. But I cannot count how many people I've had to restrain. There is no number. Hundreds. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's kind of what I did. Yeah. And I've never suffocated somebody. Yeah. I've never placed my knee on the back of someone's neck like that. I've never done that. I might know a thing or two about taking a grown man to the ground. I know might know a thing or two about how you restrain a grown man that's already in cuffs. Just a thing or two, maybe, here or there, 10 years, I don't know, maybe. Just a few years. And it was, it was uncalled for. So it's just like, but at the, at the, on the flip side of that, I also know what it's like to work with good Saudi Arabia people. I have seen cops be vocal about things that they seen wrong and be fired for. I've seen them mm-hmm. be placed in black holes. So depending on what department you're at, that could be like a cop goes from patrol work to like being a property clerk. Mm-hmm. Or getting that assignment that nobody likes, working security at the front desk, right? Because he was too he or she was too opinionated about certain things. Now, do I think that there needs to be more accountability? Absolutely. Do I think that we need to hold humans accountable for when they do wrong things? Yeah, what's wrong with that? Right? Like mm-hmm. if I shoot somebody and they shouldn't have been shot, I'm going to prison. Yeah. So what makes you any different? Right? So yeah, there needs to be some accountability there. But while we're holding people accountable, we can't lose sight of the fact that there are good people out there that are trying to do the right thing, um, that do have a hell of a job, that are trying to absolutely make a difference. And you know what, man? I got family members and I got people. I literally, a lot of my mentors were cops, right? Because I was a 21-year-old kid and never had a male mentor. And a lot of them, a lot of those uh, men and women kind of grew me up, right? Helped me out. And they are anything but people that want to violate your, your human rights and take your life. So there's a balance. That's right. That's right. Now, do you just, I guess, last question and then we'll, we'll kind of keep it moving. Um, do you feel like there's something in the, in the overall policing system that could be changed? If you could change one or two things to really help bridge the relationship between um, the community and the police department or just practices that they can just exterminate to, to bring some sort of healing to what we're doing here? Police need to police. OK, so, yeah, here it is. It's your mayor's. It's your mayors. All right, because a lot of people mm. lose sight of something. Who does a who does a patrolman ultimately report to? Like a police patrolman. Who is it, who is that patrolman's ultimate boss? Like in the police sphere. In in the police sphere, um, would be their captain or the commissioner or I suppose the mayor after that. Yeah, so you, you you cap off depending on what department you're at, but let's just say chief. Sure. In major cities, who appoints the chief? The mayor. Who's giving the chief directives in order to keep their job? Yep, the mayor again. So the mayor is telling his chief what needs to be done in order for you to remain employed. Mm. The chief is then telling the captains. The captains are telling the lieutenants. The lieutenants are telling the sergeants, and the sergeants are talking to you at roll call about it. And then you're expected to go on the streets and do those things so you can feed good stats back to the sarge, who can then tell the lieutenant, who can then tell the captain, who can then report to the chief, who can then say to the mayor, look, mayor, we're doing what you asked us to do, right? So when a mayor tells the, the, 
the police chief something like, oh, in these four zones, I want crime to come down. Okay, mayor, how do you want us to do that? I don't care. Just get it done. Right. Oh, oh, okay. So all of a sudden you get these aggressive practices. So are the cops liable? Absolutely, yes. But if you want to if you want to change that, go to the boot that's on April. Mm. You go get to that mayor, because what the mayors do now is when a cop does something wrong, the mayor comes out there and says, we're going to investigate. This is not going to be tolerated in our cities. But guess what? It was the mayor that told him to go do the aggressive crap in the first place. Mm. And then they get the boomerang back and throw the cops up under the bus. Then what does the chief Incredible. have to do? The chief got to ride with the mayor. So all of a sudden they start looking at, you know, even internal things that were done wrong. Oh, you got to go. You got to go. If we need to sacrifice you, you got to go because I'm trying to keep my 130000 in your job with my take-home Cadillac truck. All right? So the mayor said, you in trouble. So you in trouble. Now what we're going to tell everybody is we need to do more community policing. So somebody go ahead and order an ice cream truck where we can go out to the community and show them that we actually care about them and we care about community policing because now the mayor wants that to be the image. And as soon as everybody forgets, as soon as these developers come back in town, they're like, look, mayor, zone one, two, and three, we are looking at pouring $40, 50000000 million in redevelopment into these zones. We understand redlining. You understand that we're able to push forward gentrification. So what we need you to do first is go over there and get the crime rates down. Once you get the crime rates down, Cool, we're going to take all those abandoned buildings because you done locked up all the people that live in the apartments or rent the houses or whatever. So what we're going to do then is we're going to take those abandoned buildings, let them sit for a minute. So the area is going to look worse for a little while. But what we're going to do then is we're going to drop that property value. okay? Hmm. and we're going to associate the crime that has been over there with this property value. Then what you get to do is go out and tell people you're going to fix the crime issue. So become harder on them. All right. Then we're going to wait to the to the sweet spot. And we're going to come in with this 40 million and buy up the blocks. And then we're going to build up these new infrastructures which, while we're building them. What you get to tell the city is, look, we not only have we, we shrunk crime, but in these areas, we have new developments going up. Our city is thr- uh, flourishing, is looking great. It's looking good. Look, guys, I told you we can do it. The police chief is normally sitting right there with you. Like, yes, we are going to get this community under control. This is what we promise to do with good ethics and policing. What else you want me to say, Mayor? That okay, yeah, yeah. What what the mayor said. All right. Now, flip side of it, the investors then came through and built buildings for people not like you. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you see somebody that you ain't never seen before jogging down the street with a dog. But you guess what? You ain't really welcome back over there. You can't even afford to be over there because now that five hundred dollar one bedroom apartment is a two thousand dollar one bedroom condo. So you can't afford to be over there. So the mayors get to take credit all while pushing individuals out of communities and using law enforcement to get the crime levels that suits them for they can convince the investors to come in and drop the money. You need to be putting pressure on your mayors. That's how you start. Put pressure on your political figures and make hold them accountable. And then here's the other kicker thing to it, man. It really, it really amazes me. Hey, y'all know it's real cute. We understand that educating people is also very important, right? Yeah. Here's what's real cute. Let me ask you a question, bro. I ain't even trying. To, I'm, I'm not even trying to trap you. Go for it. I come in a I come in a hood, gentrified, do everything that I just mentioned, put up all these brand new buildings, right? Put up these places you can't you can't afford to live. Now these still in the hood. Yeah. There is an elementary school five blocks away that's in the hood 
that serves this area, right? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How many of those people that's paying a $2,000 condo, paying for the $2,000 condo, send a seven-year-old to, to school with your kids? That's not going to happen. Don't happen. They still, they bust out and take right, their kids going, to private school. Private school, or they know somebody who can get them in at that other public school up there. And you know what the, yeah. beautiful, you know what the beautiful part about that is? Tell Once me. they do that, they are not accountable to these individuals for a better educational system in your neighborhood. So they can bring the people in who bust their kids out. So then those people, because they'll hold their feet to the fire. But see, those individuals don't send their kids to school with yours. So therefore, you don't even have their leverage of saying, make our mm-hmm. schools better. Because it's right. still the same poor kids going there. And you know what happens? Once they gentrified enough and enough of those kids ain't going to the school, tell me when I'm wrong. The schools start closing down. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing vacant schools everywhere. And all the kids are compiled into these, these one. Now you got overflowing. You don't have enough teachers. Now all of a sudden you got all these other problems. Kids being busted a little bit further out of their neighborhoods than they normally are because they local school shut down. Why? Because there is nobody there to actually run it because these people that gentrified your area busting their kids out. Uh, guess what? Now that this whole eight blocks no longer has children to go to the school, you don't even have ratio. So not only mm-hmm. are we not going to pour into you, we're going to shut you down. And then we're going to stick all these kids still in this under underfunded educational system over here. Now we're going to overcrowd them. We still not going to educate them. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to gentrify the area where that school is. And we're going to turn that damn thing into some condos, too. Wow. (laughs) That's the whole game right there. Wow. Actually, it wasn't aware of like 90 percent of all of that. So I'm definitely appreciative um, for a little bit of knowledge. And I hope the people watching and listening could actually take something from it and maybe um, understand that elections have consequences. They do. And your local elections have consequences. Yeah. And I I think people freak out about the, you know, presidential elections and yet there's, there's reason to be concerned about those things, especially um, it's especially obvious when you're in the two way community. It's like, Oh man, Biden's coming for your guns and this and this and that. Um, but your local elections, your mayors, your city councilmen, your local representatives, those people are making rules for you. And if you don't care, they'll do whatever they want. <laughs>